This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Um, we're discussing the evolution of two of the main characters in the story of the parasha. And their evolution gives hope to all of us. Their evolution, we see the evolution, the great changes between them. And the two main adversaries start off the parasha by Gash Yehuda. Yuda is approaching Yosef. He doesn't know it's Yosef. He thinks it's, a, it's an Egyptian viceroy. And uh, he's approaching him. Has, has harsh words for him. Because the viceroy is threatening to take Benjamin, the youngest brother, as a slave. Because he was framed. Benjamin was, was framed at the end of last week's parasha. And Yosef put the cup. He had his cup, his silver cup, his magic silver cup, so-called magic silver cup, put into Benjamin's bag, and he framed him, and he says, now I'm going to take Benjamin as a slave. You guys go home to your father and leave Benjamin here as my slave. This is how the parasha starts off with this cliffhanger. What's going to happen are the brothers. They're going to leave their youngest brother into the hands in Egypt, and they're going to go back to their father, or they're going to stay. So what is going on over here? And the answer is it's a massive test. This is a massive test for the brothers. Are they going to do to Binyamin? Again, a very, a very favored son of Yaakov, their father. Binyamin now is taking the place of Yosef, of Joseph. He is now the most favored son of, his, of their father. And uh, just like they were jealous of Yosef, maybe they're jealous of Binyamin, of Benjamin. And maybe they want to get rid of Benjamin. That's the test. Well, they want to get rid of him as well. Yosef is giving them an ample excuse. You want to get rid of him? Here he is. I'm going to take him. You guys go home and uh, you can forget about him. Okay, so that's the question over here. That's, that's how we start the parasha. But I want to talk about the evolution of two of the main protagonists in the parasha, uh, the evolution of Yosef. So we find Yosef, he starts off as a young boy. We have a text that goes back to uh, Parashio, which discusses Yosef telling his brothers about his dreams, his dreams of greatness, his dreams that they're going to bow down to him. And he's also telling them, he's telling his father, Lashon Hara, he speaks bad things about his brothers, he speaks tales about his brothers. So Yosef is not portrayed in a very beautiful light at the beginning of his story. And we know the brothers hate him, and they're jealous of him, and they want to get rid of him. And that's where we meet the other brothers. Um, Shimon, who tells the brothers, here comes the dreamer, let's get rid of him. Reuven, who says, no, let's not kill him, put him in the pit. And Reuven intends, the Torah tells us, Reuven intends to come back and save Yosef. And then they put him in the pit, and Reuven has gone back to his father. And Yehuda tells his brothers, and I want to read this to you, and Yuda comes along and he tells his brothers a really terrible sort of callous. They sat down to eat food. Imagine, Yosef is screaming. We don't know about this right now. We know about this, but Yosef's telling them that I was screaming and you never heard my cries. They sat down to eat food. They raised their eyes and they saw a caravan of Shmalites coming from Gilad. And the camels were bearing spice, balsam, and lotus on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, what gain will there be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. So Yehuda, imagine that Yosef is in the pit, he's screaming, help, help, help. And the brothers are sitting down to eat. Their consciences are clear. They don't care. They're hearing their brother's cries. And Yehuda, who is number four, brother number four, the fourth son of Leah, the fourth son of Yaakov, he's number four in order of the brothers. And he says to his brothers, what gain will there be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him instead and let a hand not be upon him. So we won't get rid of him directly. We'll get rid of him indirectly. We'll sell him as a slave. And here's a big discussion over here. Is slavery worse than death? Or is slavery better than death? Well, I guess in this parasha, we see the outcome was it was better than death, that Yosef survives, and Yosef becomes the viceroy of Egypt, and Yosef is now in charge of saving humanity, in a sense, because he's saving people from a tremendous 
tremendous lack of food. And he's saving the whole world, basically. The known world at that time around Egypt, the superpower of the time. And he saved the world from starvation. So thank God, Judah, in a sense, saved Yosef's life, but in a very callous kind of way. So that's number one, we have to note the difference between Yosef and Yehuda and the evolution between the two. Yosef, he starts off with these dreams of grandeur and he's going to rule over his brothers. Can you imagine? How would anyone come along and tell your, their brothers, you guys are going to bow down to me. You guys in my dream bow down to me and one day I'm going to be your ruler. I'm going to be ruling all over you and you're going to bow down to me. And then his second dream, he tells even his father's going to bow down to him. You got to lack certain kinds of sensitivity to be able to do that, to tell your own brothers, your own flesh and blood, your older brothers, that you guys are going to bow down to me. Okay, it was a dream. Was it a prophecy? Ramban says it was a prophecy. It was more than just a dream. It was a prophetic dream. And Ramban says Yosef has to make sure the dream comes true. And that's what we see in this parasha. Yosef is thinking about his dreams. The dreams have to come true. He's making sure the dreams come true. And that's another point of discussion is, do you have to make sure that your dreams come true? If you have a prophetic dream, are you in charge now or will God make them come true whether you like them or not? So it's very strange. Ramban says he had to make his dreams come true. But other authorities say, no, that's not the reason why he caused this whole situation. He really wants to give an opportunity to see if they're going to do teshuva, if they're going to repent. And one of the classic repenters, Bale Teshuva in the Torah is in this week's parasha. It happens to be no other than Yehuda. Yehuda, the fourth son of Jacob, who changes from this callous kind of person who we're going to talk about his nature. Let's first finish with Yosef, Joseph. How Joseph evolves from this sort of egocentric young boy who's thinking about power and talking Lashonara about his brothers. And then he's put in the pit and then he's sold into Egypt, becomes a slave in Egypt. Even in Egypt, it says he forgets about his father and he, he's beautifying himself. Uh, the Torah tells us he was beautifying his hair. And uh, the Rashi brings down, he says, your, your, your father's mourning for you and you're beautifying yourself. I'm going to set Potiphar's wife on you. And that was the thing. Anyway, Yosef is sold again. He's, he's put in the jail. And... Second time round, he's put in the jail. So he's from a pit. He's sold as a slave. He's in the house of Potiphar. Now he's in a jail. And where then we see a massive transformation. Yosef it stops being egocentric. This is a new Yosef. He sees the face of the prisoners. He wants to help the prisoners in jail. Why are you looking so depressed? The baker and the butler. He helps them to examine their dreams. He gives them interpretations. And then he's helping Pharaoh and he's helping the whole of Egypt. He's helping mankind to survive. So Yosef goes from a very self-centered kind of base to this generous uh, helper of humanity. And that's a massive change. And Yosef, from this young boy, uh, was a spoiled brat in a sense from his, his father. Spoiled him, his mother passed away. He was the only child of his father, of the father from the mother at that time, and he was spoiled, and he was self-centered, and he changes from being self-centered into being this very generous kind of person. So that's Yosef's metamorphosis, but now let's talk about Yehuda. So Yehuda is this kind of callous kind of brother who's is weighing the options, you know, shall we kill him, shall we sell him, let's sell him, you know, what, what difference does it make? Isn't it better for us to sell him and not have his, the burden of guilt of, of his blood on our heads? So it's kind of callous kind of, instead of saying, let's save him, let's bring him back to our father. No, we're not going to bring him back to our father. And then what does Judah do? And the brothers do, they take his clothes and they rend his garments and they dip it in goat's blood. And the rabbis say, you know, this is kind of repayment for Yaakov as well, because Yaakov used the goat's skin to trick his father. And they're using goat's blood to trick their father. So it's a kind of, Quid pro quo, nothing is forgotten in God's world. Everything is perfectly aligned. Payback time for Yaakov. Payback time for Yaakov, Judah, we're going to see. So what happens is they dip the coat, this beautiful coat in the blood of this goat, and they bring it to their father, and they said, Daddy, you, can you recognize this coat? And Daddy says, and Yaakov says, my son's tunic. 
A savage beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to bits. And that's what Yaakov thought all along. Joseph, his favorite son, was torn to bits. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And Yaakov rent his garments and placed sackcloth on his loins. He mourned for his sons. It says 22 years he mourned for Yosef. You know, I was in the shul, <laughs> was it, two weeks ago, and uh, the rabbi was reading the parasha and started crying. In the middle of the story, he started crying. The rabbi who was reading the parasha started crying, which, you know, it's like, how can you sell your brother? Then you go to your father and tell him, and the father's now mourning. What a terrible scene. What a terrible piece of Jewish history. All his sons and his daughters rose to comfort him. He refused to comfort himself. He says, I will go down to the grave mourning for my son. This is terrible. They caused their father to mourn for 22 years. These brothers, this Judah, who is... Uh, this callous brother, okay, they didn't kill him, but they did. Instead of Reuben coming back and taking him out of the pit, which is what Reuben wanted, and Reuben uh, reacts at that time. Where is, where is Yosef? How, what am I going to tell my father? The boy's gone. Where can I go, Reuben says. So Reuben has a heart. Reuben is the brother with a heart, the oldest brother, but Yehuda was callous, unfortunately. And then we have the story, the next story about Yehuda. And it was at that time, the Torah tells us in chapter 38 of Rashid, it says, And Yehuda goes down from his brothers. Interesting. Why does he go down from his brothers? So Rashi says straight away, they sort of deposed him from his leadership position. They were willing to listen to him before. And when they see what he caused, the pain he caused their father, they sort of demoted him. They went, he went down from his brothers. They demoted him. And he went and he found a wife. Now, he's sort of alienated from his brothers. Judah is sort of alienated because of this advice that they follow. They see the pain they cause and suffering caused his father. He's alienated. He goes and he gets married. Hopefully, he'll find some kind of comfort in his marriage. And he marries her and she conceives and bears a son. And she has three children, Er, Onan, and Shelah. Er, Onan, and Shelah. And unfortunately, okay, so Judah finds... A wife for Er, her name was Tamar. We all know the famous story of Tamar, Yehuda and Tamar. But Er marries Tamar. Er sins and he dies. And Onan, the second son, marries Tamar and he sins. And terrible, we get a word, Onanism from him. And he dies and God kills him. And Yehuda says, you know what, that's it. I'm not letting my third son marry Tamar. And he again, he treats her in a very callous kind of way. She is stuck as a widow. Um, and in those days, a literate marriage was performed. He didn't allow her to marry his third son, so she was stuck. So she was stuck. She acts as if she was a zona. She sits over there in the, the crossroads. She covers her face, and Yuda uh, is tempted, and he has relations with her. He doesn't know it's her, his, her, his daughter-in-law. She finally gets pregnant with his own child, actually two children, they're twins, and they tell her Tamar has sinned. She has committed adultery. She was uh, set aside for your son Shela, and she committed adultery. What should we do with her? Now, the, essentially, the background of the mission over here was the commentary saying that she was the daughter of Shem. Ah, what a great yichus. Now, she was the daughter of Shem, the son of Noah, which is why he pronounced this terrible uh, judgment on her. She was the daughter of the the Kohen of the highest God. So she was the daughter of Shem, the commentaries say, and that's why he said the daughter of a, of a Kohen who commits adultery has to be burnt. Burn her alive. Gosh, terrible, terrible. He is the judge. Judah is the judge. Again, we see the callousness of Yehuda. And then she sends him, she, she refuses to, uh, to shame Yehuda in public and say it was you. You're the father of this baby. She just says, here, this is the staff of the person who got me, got me pregnant. This is the staff and the money wallet, and, and this is the ring of this person who got me pregnant. He recognizes them. Yehuda recognizes them, and he says, she is more righteous than me. She, Tamar, is more righteous than me. This is the first time we hear these kinds of words in the whole Torah. When a person admits and is not scared to admit, and he's in public, he's the judge, can imagine he's the judge in front of everyone, and she gives him this staff, he could have said, you know, take her out and burn her, or burn all the evidence, no one's going to know any better, she's refusing to talk, Baruch Hashem, 
Bernhard, but he doesn't in public, he says, she is more righteous than me. It's my baby. I got her pregnant. He, he's the first one in the whole Torah to admit, you know, it's interesting, Yehuda, we're named after Yehuda. We're going to talk a bit about that because it's very topical. We are Yehudim. We are named after Yehuda. Now, Yehuda got his name from his mother, Leah. Leah had four sons. And when she had, she had her fourth son, she says, wow, my husband has four wives. And they're going to be 12 sons, 12 tribes. I have four sons. That means I have more than my fair share. Three goes into 12 four times. I have four sons now. I have more sons than anyone else. I have more of the tribes than anyone else. And she said, now I will thank Hashem. So she's the first one to come along. Um, his mother was the first one to thank Hashem. Hashem. She says, thank you, Hashem. And she calls her son's name Yehuda, which means thanks. Now, Yehuda is the first one to admit. And it's interesting, the word for thanks, modeh. We say, modeh ani lefanecha. The first word in our mouths every morning is thank you, Hashem. First word, imagine. The first word a Jew is meant to utter in the morning is thanks, gratitude. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, modeh. And we have to really say it with feeling. Modeh ani lefanecha. Thank you, Hashem. Woman says, modah. The feminine of modeh is modah. Thank you, Hashem. So thank you, Hashem, every morning. But we also say, We admit to you, Hashem. So modim is interesting. Thank you and admission is the same word. Yehuda is thank you. And Yehuda is also admit. He's the first person in the whole Torah to admit he was wrong. Wow. Here's this callous kind of guy who learns this lesson from his daughter-in-law. She holds her tongue. And she's willing to get burnt. Oh, God, I can't imagine what kind of test she had. This uh, Sedeket, this righteous woman, Tamar, who is eventually, we know, she's the mother of the eventual Mashiach, King David, and, the, and the, all the kings of Judah come from Tamar and Yehuda. But Yehuda says, she is right. It is from me. Because I didn't give her Shelach, my son. It's all my fault. And uh, she gives birth to the twins. And Yehuda admission. So here we have Yehuda now is changing. There's a tremendous metamorphosis in Yehuda, which we're going to see in Al Parasha, right? The beginning of Al Parasha. So this is amazing uh, idea, and we're going to talk about the evolution of Yehuda. So it's uh, it's Yehuda. The covenantal family has been known by several names. One is Ivri, the Hebrew. We all know the Hebrews, the Habiru. Uh, Meaning outsider, stranger, nomad, a person from wanders from place to place. From the word ever, every, he comes from across the sea. You know, wherever we, we are, the Jews are always considered from across. We're also somewhere else. We're always strangers in foreign lands. We're always strangers. And that's how Abraham and his children were known to other people as the Hebrews, Habiru. The second is Israel. We are known as Israel, Israel. Why? We got the name from Jacob who fights with his angel or whatever that being was, we talked about it, and he, the angel changes his name to Israel. He fought with Hashem and with man and prevailed. So we know it also as Israel. And then after the division of the kingdom and the conquest of the north by the Assyrians, which is very topical, so we're going to talk a bit about the fast day next week called the Tent of Tibet, which is the Babylonian uh, siege of Jerusalem. Amazing, amazing. 2,500 odd years ago, there's a siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, which we are still fasting 2,500 odd years later. It's amazing. Jewish history is amazing. We cling to our history because these are our roots. We are rooted in the past to learn from the past to make sure we don't make the same mistakes. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't learn the lessons. So anyway, so we get this name. What happens is the the northern kingdom is captured and conquered by the Assyrians. They've taken away the ten tribes and taken away. The two and a half tribes that remain are Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites and the Kohanim, the Levi. So it's interesting. Yehuda, we are all of us today are descendants of these three tribes of Yehuda, Benjamin, uh, and Levi. So if you're a Levite or a Kohen, you'll know where you're from. If you're just a regular Jew, you're probably from, <laughs> probably from Yehuda. That's our, hence our names, Judah became Jews. Jews for Judah, 
Judah means admit. Judah means thanks. We have, we have to remember that. What is the source of our name? Jew, it's not what was in the Oxford Dictionary for many years, to Jew someone down, a swindler and a crook. And it's, you know, it's interesting, I just saw the news two days ago that Google had it, had it changed it. It had that old, uh, I don't know where they put it in their, in their dictionary. Google, imagine they had to just change it again. So it's a Jew means, what does a Jew mean? Yehuda, thank you. Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, God. We acknowledge your goodness to us. And number two is admission. We admit our mistakes. That's Yehuda was the first one in the Torah to admit his mistakes in public. Public humiliation. So terrible, terrible, terrible. And he's living hell. He's living hell. He's living in hell. Number one is he lost two sons. He lost two sons. He lost his father's love because his father is mourning, mourning, mourning. And the, and the brothers, they say, you, it's your fault, you, that's your fault. You did, you, you made us sell our brother. We could have brought him home and our father would mourn you. And they see him mourning all the time. And they just turned on Yehuda. And Yehuda now is changing his metamorphosis. He's becoming more humble. He's becoming more sensitive. He's willing to admit his mistakes. So we are known as Yehudim. We survived the Babylonian exile. We, us, the Jews today, are survivors. We are descendants of Yehuda. So, and Yehuda was the one who conferred his identity on the Jewish people. That's why we're known as Jewish people. Identity of Yehuda wasn't Yosef, wasn't Joseph. Yes, Joseph, the leader. Somehow Joseph lost it. We're going to talk about how come Yehuda, we're all descendants of Yehuda, not Yosef. Yosef was one of the big losers, the tribes of Ephraim and Menashe were one of some of the biggest losers in history, as well as Reuven, all the other tribes are gone. We don't know where they are. They got taken away. Uh, some people say they are, um, some people say they are in Afghanistan, but the Pathans, the Patans, they have these Jewish traditions. You can look them up. Yeah, they, uh, they, there's Jewish traditions over there mixed in with the Muslim traditions. Interesting. And they look like the old tribes. They look like <laughs> they're fighting everyone. Anyway, let's see. I don't, I don't know. I can't say for sure. Uh, there's all surmises. Anyway, I want to dedicate this shir for another Yehuda. Uh, whoever knew this man, a special man, Yehuda Reich, uh, who used to make the coffee for us at Eitzelheim every morning. He was a survivor of the Holocaust. He used to come and pray in the minyan every single day, make the minyan every day with a sadiq. So this class is... We're talking about Yehuda. It's very appropriate. It's in memory of Yehuda Reich. His uh, Yatzai is the Shabbat. May his Neshama have an Aliyah. So Yehuda became the ancestor of Israel's greatest king, David. Yehuda is from the Messiah, will be born from Yehuda. So the question is, why Yehuda and not Yosef? Why Yehuda and not Yosef? Isn't Yosef the Sadiq? Yosef was known as the Sadiq. He withstood uh, immoral tests, which Yehuda didn't. And Yosef is the study. Why are we descendants of Yehuda, not Yosef? And, so, and Yosef, Yosef, Yehuda was the one who wanted to, wanted to get rid of Yosef, who's the one who sold Yosef. So what happened? How come? It seems to be upside down over here. And the answer is because Yehuda changed. And callousness has been replaced with concern. Indifference to his brother's fate has been transformed into courage on his behalf. Look what Yehuda tells Yosef. And this week's parasha, right? The big lazy parasha. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Right? He says, and now if I come to your servant, my father, and this boy, Benjamin, is not with us. Their souls are bound up with each other. It will happen when he sees the youth is missing, he will die. This is Yehuda, the callous Yehuda. It's not callous anymore. And your servants would have brought down the horridness of your servant, our father, in sorrow to the grave. They already did this with Yosef. Yehuda says, I'm not going to do this again. For your servant took responsibility for the youth from my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I'll be sitting to my father for all time. Now, therefore, listen, look at the sacrifice Yehuda is willing to make. Please let your servant, that's Yehuda, me, Yehuda, remain instead of the youth. I will be your slave and let the boy go up with his brothers to my father. 
For how can I go up to my father if the boy is not with me? Lest I see the evil that will befall my father. I can't do this again. I can't go back to my father with another son missing. And what am I going to tell my father? I'm finished. I can't, I can't live like, just take me as your slave. Let the boy, let Benjamin go. So callousness has been replaced. It's been transformed into courage. Indifference has been transformed into I care. I care about Benjamin's welfare. I can't. I care about my father. I can't let my father go through this again. I'm willing to suffer what I have, what I, what I afflicted on my lost brother to sell him as a slave. I want, I'll be a slave. And I just make sure that Benjamin doesn't suffer that fate of being a slave. And this is why at this time, Yosef says, I am your brother, Yosef. And that's, that's how <laughs> very, very poignant story, very, very moving story. Judas changed. This is a highly significant moment in the history of the human spirit. Yehuda is the first Baal Teshuva in the Torah. He is the first one who can be identified as a true penitent, repenting for his previous sin of selling his brother and as a slave. And now he is willing now to be a slave instead of the other brother. So he has gone 360 degrees, 180 degrees around this, uh, this cycle, from being callous to being a person who cares very much about his father, cares very much about his brother, willing to suffer the fate of the lost brother that he caused to be sold. So where did it come from? And the answer, it came from Tamar. It came from this righteous woman, Tamar, who he learned to uh, righteousness from. He learned righteousness from Tamar. So Tamar is willing to die and not reveal who was the parent of this uh, child that she got pregnant with. And he, he learns concerned fathers from her he learns willingness to sacrifice from her so amazing so he admitted she was more righteous than i and that's the first time the torah says someone admits you know let's go back to the beginning hashem says adam why did you eat the fruit and adam says wasn't me it was her and and he says Hava, why did you eat the fruit it wasn't me it was a snake and here is yehuda the first one in the, in the torah say was me i did it it's my fault, it's not her fault. He's the first one to recognize his wrongdoing, to feel remorse and to change. And this is known as Teshuvah. And that is, we see that the callousness of Yehuda turns, is now Ish Teshuvah. He's now a penitential man. He is willing to admit his sins. He's willing to grow. He's willing to change. He's willing to fight for his brother and be a slave instead of his brother. Wow, that is, that is amazing. So Judah is the one who is thanks, and Judah is the one who admits, acknowledges, and that's why we are called Yehudim. We are the ones who are Yehudim. So this, much of the focus in this parasha is this confrontation between these two great men, Judah and Yosef, the two brothers, and the relationship is interesting because the relationship between these two tribes, Yosef's tribe of Ephraim, and Yehuda's tribe of Judah is a very highly significant relationship. And there's another relationship which is also significant, is that of Yehuda and Binyamin. Now, what's interesting is Yehuda was willing to be a slave to save his brother Binyamin. And what happened was interesting through history, Binyamin was the nearest tribe to Yehuda. In fact, the Temple Mount is split between Binyamin and Yehuda. The, tr the closest tribes were Binyamin and Yehuda. And when the northern kingdom split away, the ten tribes split away from Yehuda, Binyamin stayed with Yehuda. So it's interesting how Yehuda is willing to fight for Binyamin. That caused a tremendous, you were thinking of Binyamin, he's the same, uh, has the same mother as Yosef. Maybe he'd be closest to the other tribes, of Yosef's tribe, the Ephraim and Asher. No. Binyamin was closest to Yehuda because Yehudah was willing to die for him. Yehudah was willing to sell himself as a slave for Binyamin. When Binyamin saw that, it left a tremendous impact on the tribe of Binyamin. And they're willing now to forego the friendship of the other tribes and go with Yehuda. So it's there. And because of that, they survived. They survived through history. We said two and a half tribes survived. Binyamin and Yehuda. So interesting. So Yehuda and Binyamin survived. And maybe based on this story, 
Yehuda was willing to give himself for Binyamin. Binyamin says, you know, Yehuda is a good uh, tribe. They're willing to die for me. I'm going to connect myself to Yehuda. As the Ramban says, Nachmanides says, Ma'aseh avot siman lebanim. What the forefathers did is a sign for what their children will do. So just as Yehuda saved Binyamin, so too later on Yehuda saved Binyamin. And Binyamin survives. And we're all from either Yehuda or Binyamin. Israel today is from Yehuda or Binyamin. Now what's also interesting is, it says by the, the words mentioned over here, when Yehuda is talking to Yosef, he says, my father's soul is bound up with the soul of Binyamin. Where do we see this again? We see this later on. We see that uh, Yonatan. Yonatan was the son of King Saul. Yonatan was the next in line to be king of Israel. And who was anointed as king instead was David Amelech. David King David was from Judah. And Yonatan was from Binyamin. So again, we see this closeness now. Yudah and Binyamin, David and Yonatan, tremendously good friends. And this is another place where these words are repeated. The Torah, his soul was bound up in his soul. Yonatan and David had a very close friendship. Their souls were bound together. Interesting. The same words used. I'm sure, Shrabi, I'm sure, was uh, Yudah's using these words to describe his father's relationship with Binyamin. These words are used to describe David, David, who's from Yehuda, the relationship with Yonatan, who is from Binyamin. So it's interesting to see how the, this relationship came about again later on. The deep love between Binyamin and Yehuda was expressed in, uh, in the love between David and Yonatan. However, Hikre Lev, one of the uh, interesting commentaries, says there's a far more hostile relationship between members of Yehuda and Binyamin, that was a highly complicated relationship between Yonatan's father, Shaul, King Saul, and David himself. Initially, King Saul seemed to love David, but this morphed into deep-seated hatred and jealousy when he realized that David is going to replace him as king. And so what happened over there? The Torah tells us, interesting, where does this jealousy come from? And the answer is we find that Rachel, Rachel, is jealous of Leah. Leah has children. Rachel doesn't have children. The Torah says a childless Rachel was jealous of Leah, who had many sons. Of course, this kind of jealousy is, could even be allowed. This kind of jealousy is jealousy of mitzvot. You're allowed to be someone, you're jealous of someone, you know, the person is righteous, I'm, righteous of the, I'm jealous of their righteousness. I'll be like them, I want to be like them. That's a kind of good jealousy. Nevertheless, you were jealous of Leah. So maybe that's where this jealousy of King Saul came from, of David. The jealousy of Rachel to Leah, especially when she had a fourth son, Yehuda, is expressed in the jealousy of King Saul for David, who is a descendant of Leah. Interesting. And uh, so that's a very interesting, anyway, that uh, David and Yonatan conquered this jealousy and became best of friends. And we said that's how, that's how uh, Benjamin survived. Uh, they survived the exile together with Yehuda. Jews today are combos of these two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Okay, let's move on. Talk about Yosef, Joseph. Joseph is interesting. Why? So the parasha begins with this uh, story and uh, very very poignant story. Yosef comes along and he can't take anymore. He couldn't restrain himself anymore. He is. His heart is breaking when he hears Yehuda now is doing Teshuvah. Yehuda is going to protect Binyamin. And he calls out, remove everyone from before me. The rabbis say, you don't want to take take a risk. You know, all his guards, he's moving everyone out. It's quite true. It's just going to be him and his brothers again. Maybe they'll try and kill him again. He doesn't know, but he assumes they did Teshuvah. No one remained there. He didn't want to embarrass his brothers in front of anyone else. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And he cried in a loud voice. Egypt heard and Pharaoh's household heard. He said, can you imagine Yosef is screaming with pain and agony all these 22 years. He was a slave in Egypt and his foreign land away from his brothers. Now his brothers are there. The brothers are his slaves and the brothers are crying. He can't take any more. He reveals, I can't take your pain anymore. I'm, I'm your brother, Yosef. I love you. Um, I want to be with you. And he reveals himself 
come close to me, if you please. And they come close and say, I'm Yosef, your brother. It is me who you sold into Egypt, but don't be distressed. <laughs> don't be distressed. <laughs> don't reproach yourselves for having sold me here. It was a, Hashem sent me here to provide for all of you. I'm, I'm a provider for the whole world. Hashem has sent me here to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain you from momentous deliverance. You know, a lot of people say, you know, Joseph was taking vengeance on the brothers. We see over here, it wasn't vengeance, he was a test. He was seeing, trying to see if they changed, trying to see what kind of people they were. He wasn't willing to take risks to try and kill him again. He wanted to see if they changed. And he saw they changed. He feels himself straight away. And he's, and he's very, very gentle with them. It wasn't you. It was God. I had the dreams, all this is prophecy. Hashem's plan came true. It wasn't you, even though it was them. He's trying to spare them the pain. So interesting. But what's interesting about Yosef is, Yosef is number two. Yosef, even though the brothers bowed down to him, he wasn't the king of Egypt. He was the viceroy. He was number two. He was second in command. Yosef's role was to ensure the physical well-being of the Jewish people during their stay in Egypt. And later on, the parasha it says Yaakov sends Judah ahead of it. Judah is to ensure the spiritual health of the Jewish people in Egypt. It was he who preceded his brothers so that he could set up the yeshivot, as she says. The vision of roles between Yosef and Yehuda established a pattern for Jewish history. Yosef is going to be the materialistic leader, and Judah is going to be the spiritual leader. Yosef is the facilitator by providing materialism, and Yehuda is going to be the king, the spiritual king of the Jewish people. You know, it's interesting because our kings were not like other kings. King David was the, imagine, the author of the book of Psalms. How many kings can come along and say, you know, I authored praises to God. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what kings are known for, right? I don't, kings are not known for authoring praises to God. I don't have any other king who authored praises to God. King, king David wrote a book of Psalms, and King Solomon wrote a book of Song of Songs, and Kohelet, and Mishle, and Hezekiah wrote some of the books of Tanakh, Hezekiah, the king. We don't find kings like that anywhere. So he's a spiritual king. You know, with the spiritual kings. And this division of roles between Judah and, and Yosef eventually will be known as Mashiach ben Yosef and the Mashiach ben Yehuda. There are two Mashiachs, very complicated. This is Jewish uh, history being uh, coming into play. And Jewish history is not easy. And the future of the Jews is not simple. There's two Mashiachs, the Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Yehuda. Okay, so... So it's interesting, but the role of Yosef was a secondary role. His job was to facilitate. He was number two in Potiphar's household. He was number two in the jail. And he was number two in Egypt. Yosef is always meant to be number two, despite what we think. We think, you know, Yosef is in charge. He's the boss. He's the king. He's not the king. He's number two. Who's meant to be the king? Who's meant to be number one? Yehuda's number one. Yehuda was the one who went through the biggest metamorphosis. He was the first Baal Teshuvah. He was the first one to admit. He was the first one who had a name praise of God. Right? So therefore, he was number one. And what happened was a tremendous mistake in Jewish history. We find the two great descendants of Yosef. The first one was a, a person called Yehoshua, Joshua, book of Joshua. Joshua is one of the books of Tanakh. It's the book straight after the five books of Moses. Joshua. Joshua was the student of Moses. Moses, the great leader, who's going to be number two to Moses? The rabbis say Moses was like the sun and Joshua was like the moon. Joshua was number two to Moses, and that's Yosef's. He was a descendant of Yosef, and that was Yosef's role, number two, number two. Joshua became number one because he was number two. He was the best number two. And these are the great descendants of Yosef, Yeshua bin Nun. And number two was the terrible, terrible Yeravon ben Nevat. And we're going to talk about who was the first king of the northern kingdom when the, when the kingdom split between Judah and Joseph. So we're going to talk about him. Yeshua, Joshua is most famous for being the devoted student of Moshe, Moses. And Yeshua shows his submission to his rabbi, the Torah describes him as Moses' attendant, and the rabbis explained he would take towels to the bathhouse for him. 
and rise early every morning and select the manna for Moses. And he uh, set up the Bet Midrash and every morning for Moses. For, for, so he was, a, he was, says he was the Nar. He, he stayed up on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights waiting for Moses to come down. Imagine the devotion he had. He was the ideal number two. He was the ideal. Joshua was ideal number two. And the Midrash says it was the merit of his submission to Moses that caused him to become the leader of Klal Israel. Joshua's submission to Moses gave him that blessing to become the leader of Israel. And uh, nevertheless, Moses had to keep on telling him, must be strong, be strong, be strong, Joshua. He was the number two. It's hard to be number one. Be strong, Joshua, be strong. So that is the greatness of Yoshua. He's willing to be number two, and that propelled him to number one. But Yeravam Benavat, who is also from Ephraim, the, the son of, of uh, Joseph, and the son of Joseph couldn't be number two. Yeravon ben Nebat was the head of the Sanhedrin under Shlomo Melech and Solomon. And he had the opportunity to emulate Joseph and accept the position of facilitator, but he failed dismally. The Bible tells us he was initially a great tzaddik and a great rabbi. And Hashem decided that the kingdom of Israel should be split into two as a punishment to the kingdom of David, for we, thought we talked about it before, and he sent Achiah Shiloni, the, the, the prophet Achiah, to grant Yeravon the northern kingdom, which would consist of the vast majority of Israel, which is 10 tribes. Moreover, Achiah promised Yeravon if he would follow in the ways of the Torah, he would meet with great success. He did point out that, that Yeravon was being appointed because of the sins of the house of David, and eventually the kingdom will go back to David. So Yeravam was like a caretaker, but Yeravam didn't, didn't want to be a caretaker. He wanted to be the king. He didn't want to be a caretaker, where his kingdom is going to go back today. What he did was something terrible. He set up golden calves, and he makes the Jews all worship idols so that they wouldn't go to the Temple Mount, which is in the kingdom of Judah, and see the real king of Israel and go back to him. So that's what he did. He was a terrible terrible he did not accept his role as number two he was not willing to accept his role as a facilitator which is the role of joseph he said and therefore he refused to repent he refused to repent the the the, uh, the midrash tells us god himself appeared to yeravom and said yeravom do teshuva yeravom and you me and david will be wandering around the garden of eden whatever that means uh, higher worlds and he said who's first near him and god said david will be number one he said no i'm not going to be number two that was the fault that was a failure but that was that was the role of yosef that was the role of his descendants to be number two and unfortunately yeravon refused to be number two and therefore became a zero and terrible 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 so let's uh, just talk about one of the biggest musar uh, ethical uh, ideas in this week's parasha is this idea of Judah and the brothers come to Jacob with a, with a torn coat dipped in blood of Joseph and they say look whose coat this is, Hakerna, can you recognize this, is this the, the coat of your son and uh, later on we said Tamar says this to Yehuda, recognize this uh, Whose belt and whose money wallet and whose ring is this? And uh, it's interesting how this 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 is this the same phrase comes to hit a person. Mida sometimes Hashem uses the same way we torture other people comes back to torture us. So the brothers tortured uh, Jacob and caused by Judah. This came back to haunt Judah. And this is what had the brothers say in last week's parasha: We were sinners. We saw the trouble of our brother in the pit. And we saw the trouble of our brother when we sold him. And he was pleading to us and we didn't listen to him. And now Hashem is punishing us. This uh, viceroy of Egypt has got us in his hands. Who knows what's going to happen to us? And they said, what is Hashem doing to us? Now that's what they thought. They thought this is quid pro quo. This is really, this is God punishing them for what they did to Joseph. It's coming back to haunt them. But then what happens in the, this week's parasha is interesting because 
All of a sudden, Joseph says, you know what? I don't want to take the orders of my slaves. Even though they were all guilty, he's going to take the one who was the brother who never got rid of him. Benjamin was not even there at his, at his, at his, uh, when he was sold. He's going to take him as a slave and let the other brothers go. I say, this can't be. This is not what God's plan was. If God is punishing us, we should all be taken as slaves and Benjamin should go home. How come over here, Benjamin is going to be taken as slaves and we're going to go home? This is not God punishing us. This is just the arbitrary wickedness of this leader. And that's when Judah stood up and started screaming. So now we can understand what got Judah really mad was. He thinks this is not really God's plan. This is not what God is punishing us. We see we're the ones, we're the bad guys and we're going free. And Benjamin is the good guy and he's going to be taken. Nevertheless, he was willing to be sold as a slave instead of him. That's the repentance of, of uh, Judah. Anyway, the Gemara says in Chagiga, Rabbi Lazar says, it says, Rabbi Lazar says, when he would get to this parasha, he would cry. When he got to this parasha and, and Joseph is revealing himself to his brothers, Rabbi Lazar would cry. Why would he cry? He says, think about after 120 years, when a person goes in front of their maker, and all the questions they had in their lifetime. What is going on in my life? Why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? It will be revealed. Everything will be revealed at the end of 120 years. In one split second, everything will be revealed. We'll know everything in our lives. What did these things happen to us? And this is what the brothers are trying to figure out. Why are these things happening to us? What do we do to deserve it? And then straight away they hear, I am Joseph. And then they realized everything came clear. What's going on? Why are they being tortured by this viceroy? I am, I am Joseph. He said he would cry when he got to this. He said, Listen, when we get to that realization, we're also going to be amazed. They said the brothers were in shock. They didn't know what to do. That is, after 120 years, we're going to realize Hashem is going to be there. Say, you know what happened to you? This is what happened to you. This is what you did. This is what you deserve. This is what happened. This is exactly what your life's all about. But Joseph says, don't get angry. Don't get depressed. Hashem is the one who planned all this. But this is the greatest rebuke a person can ever get in their lives. is to see the person that they caused wrong to right in front of them, staring them in the face and telling them, it was me all along. I had you under my thumb. I could have repaid you. But you know what? I didn't repay you. And don't even feel bad about it. But this is going to be the biggest rebuke. And uh, that's what Rabbi Elazo says. Woe to us on that day. Woe to us on the day of rebuke. But as I said, I want to just finish off with the... Next week is the fast of Tevet, the 10th of Tevet. Let's go through a little bit of history, what happened. So this is Asarabet Tevet, 10th of Tevet, next week, next Tuesday. It's one of the minor fasts. It's from the morning to the evening, and it's the shortest fast because it's the shortest days of the year. So we're lucky. It's a very short fast. And it's in mourning for the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, an event that culminated in the destruction of the first temple, King Solomon's temple. The downfall of the kingdom of Judah and the Babylonian exile of our people, which, thank God, was only 70 years. The siege of Jerusalem in 587 BCE, imagine, where fasting for an event that took place 2,587 years ago, more, more actually, nearly 25, uh, near 2,600 years ago. We're, we're fasting for an event that took place 2,600 years ago. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, began the siege of Jerusalem 18 months later on the 9th of Tammuz, at the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, which is Yahweh Melech, of uh, 586 BCE. Uh, the Babylonians break through the city walls of Jerusalem. Later, the Romans would similarly break through the walls of Jerusalem on the 17th of Tammuz, and to be fast, one fast on the 17th of Tammuz to commemorate the, the breaking of the walls of Jerusalem twice by the Babylonians and by the Romans. Imagine it took 18 months of siege of Jerusalem to break through the walls. The siege ended with the destruction of, of the temple three weeks later. On the 9th of Av, as we now teach Av, the end of the first kingdom and the elite of Judah was taken in exile to Babylon, including Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, 
all the other great prophets, Mordechai, Esther, were all taken into Babylon into exile. The tenth of Tevet is the first of the three of the cycle of the three fasts commemorating this event, the destruction of the temples. And the first reference to the tenth of Tevet is a fast appears in the book of Zechariah in chapter eight, where it is called the fast of the tenth month. The Bible counts the months from the month of Nisan, which is Pesach, and the tenth month is Tevet. So it's the fast of the tenth month which is the fast of Tibet, when according to Ezekiel, the prophet, news of the destruction of the temple reached those already in exile in Babylon. However, the 10th is the date observed today, according to the opinion presented in the Talmud. Okay, so we can find references to the fast and affliction in the book of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who was alive at that time, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel both alive at the same time. On the 8th of Tibet, other things happened as well. On the 8th of Tevet, one year during the 3rd century BCE, which was topical with Hanukkah, we were under the Hellenists, the Hellenist, uh, the Greek kingdom of Egypt, Ptolemy. He, ta- he locked up 70 rabbis in 70 rooms and he made them translate the Torah into Greek. That's a Septuagint. And because of that, uh, we fast. So that's one of the reasons of the fast day. This happened, this event happened on the 8th of Tevet. The rabbis made him to a fast. Today, we put all the fast on the 10th of Tibet. On the 9th of Tibet, something happened, the Shulchan Aruch says. Apparently, this was the death of Ezra HaSofer, the great leader who brought us back in this and rebuilt the Second Temple. So that was the death of Ezra HaSofer. So these are the events we are commemorating next week. It's the only fast day that we fast on a Friday, right into Shabbat. Normally, you're not allowed to fast going into Shabbat, but it's the only fast day that we fast going into Shabbat. And it's the only fast day that, that even applies on a Friday in our calendar. No other fast days can, uh, can fall on a Friday. The rabbis made the, the calendar in a certain way. It's the only fast day to fall on a Friday. But that's how terrible this fast day was, the event of the destruction of the first temple. We can't even imagine uh, sad, sorry state, first exile of the Jewish people, the end of the first commonwealth, 850 years in Israel and 410 years of the first temple were ended by the Babylonians. Uh, thankfully, the Babylonian exile was uh, short, uh, 70 years, but it was not sweet. It was short, but not sweet. And f- the biggest tragedy was most Jews never came back to Israel after the Babylonian exile. They just stayed in Babylon, including probably my family as well. We're from Iraq and uh, probably stayed over and, uh, unless we left after the second exile, who knows? but probably for the first exile, that's Jewish history. And I wish you all Bezrat Hashem would only see no more destructions, no more exiles. In fact, we're seeing the gathering of the exiles, Bezrat Hashem, from the four corners of the world, back to Yerushalayim, Mirakodesh, where everything starts. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.